The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, Thank you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us. As usual, we're going to have a wonderful program. We've got a great guest today, Steve Castleman, who has the website addictscience.com. And he's going to be sharing with us today about how neuroscience and spirituality team up for sobriety. And uh, we may not think about that combination a lot, but it's the truth, and he's going to share it with us how that works for him. So uh, before I get to my conversation with Steve, though, again, I want to thank you for listening with us today. I want to thank you for posting on our Facebook page. Thank you for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. And thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your Unity community know about us here on Unity Online Radio. I love having the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of recovery and spirituality and to bring you uh, the great guests that um, we have every week. Thank you for emailing me, for letting me know how what's happening here on Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart, is uh, opening some new ideas and some new thoughts for you, some inspiration for you um, in your spirituality walk and in your recovery walk. We always bring uh, guests that are down to earth, that um, have important information to share with you, that have inspiration. They're knowledgeable. They're people who are either in recovery themselves or who are working with or writing for uh, recovering people. And my guests are always people that are innovative and that um, are really, you know, they're very real, very genuine people that are um, in touch with spirituality and the principles of recovery. So they're always bringing practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to the Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen, of course, uh, through your computer. You can listen um, on your smartphone. And you can listen live or you can listen on demand uh, at our archives. We've got our archives at unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery. And we've got several years now of archives of wonderful programs that you can listen to on demand. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. And so that if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member, or you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, whether or not they or you are in recovery, or you're just curious, looking for information, you just want to learn more about recovery and spirituality, I welcome you, and you are just uh, welcome here at the Spirit of Recovery to participate um, in our discussions or make comments. If you have a comment or question for our guests, you can email us or you can call in, and we'll be happy to respond to that. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. Also, I am a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And years ago, those relationships got me 
uh, started on an active path of personal growth and recovery and involvement with the 12 steps and a path of spiritual development, and that led me to the unity principles. And so ever since that, uh, my walk is an integration of the unity principles, the recovery principles. They're not the same, but they are indeed congruent. And that walk keeps richly transforming my life, and it keeps me growing in ever deeper and richer ways. So I am delighted. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to broadcast on spirituality and recovery and um, also to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and your recovery walk. Today, as I said uh, earlier, our topic is neuroscience and spirituality team up for sobriety, huh? And uh, my guest is Steve Castleman. Steve has the website www.addictscience.com. It's incredible. It is a website that is full of all kinds of information, relevant, exciting, interesting information about uh, addiction and recovery, about the neuroscience of it, about uh, uh, support for ideas for recovery, for family members, for everything. It's just an amazing website that Steve um, has up there as a service. And um, what today we're going to be talking about is how the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous back in the 1930s really got it, got it right in terms of neuroscience. Of course, uh, the neuroscience at that point was not uh, nearly as sophisticated as it is today, but when they described, according to uh, Bill Wilson's physician, Dr. Silkworth, they described alcoholism very accurately as an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. And today's neuroscience is able to really demonstrate that, um, obviously, in very scientific and very sophisticated ways. So my guest, um, Steve Castleman, found out that um, in his uh, working towards uh, becoming a person in long-term recovery, which he is today, that he had to become a neuroscience geek to help him grasp that he really did have a brain disease and that uh, in that process that somehow spirituality and uh, the brain disease were linked in in recovery. Uh, Steve has uh, quite an interesting background. He grew up in New York City. Uh, He graduated from Yale with a BA in Chinese studies, and then he got a law degree from the University of San Francisco and uh, practiced as a district attorney in the White Collar Crime Unit and uh, also in the criminal division and uh, prosecuted environmental cases in the DA's office. And um, with that background, his ability to do research, to uh, find out the facts and find out what's going on, he certainly put that to use um, in what he's doing now in his life. And he is a person in long-term sobriety. And uh, as I said, he's doing a great service uh, to the recovery community um, in terms of his website. So, Steve, welcome uh, to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on Spirit of Recovery. Very, very glad that you're here. So, would you tell us a little bit about your um, background, your story about um, becoming a person in long-term recovery? And there were some some back and forth along the way. Yeah, it's true. Um, I was um, carted off to rehab very much against my will uh, back in 1996, um, and I was in deep, 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 deep trouble. Uh, I was um, just on the verge of drinking myself to death. I registered uh, over five times the legal limit for drunk driving uh, when I was when they drew blood when I arrived at um, rehab, which I of course don't remember. Um, and in the course uh, uh, of uh, my 32 days in um, rehab, uh, I had to go undergo an entire personality change. And um, this is not something that I was was that I really signed up for. Um, I did not believe that addiction was a disease. Uh, I just thought it was uh, that I was a bad person, that I was um, incapable of controlling myself, um, which, of course, led to a great deal of guilt and shame, which, of course, was treated by more drugs and alcohol. Um, But fortunately for me, um, I had a very, uh, I had a bottom that was really um, very necessary to open my eyes to what I had become. 
and uh, I I consented um, uh, in a sense to going off to rehab because I didn't fight it. And when they told me that um, addiction was a disease, I didn't believe them for a moment. Um, and in particular, what what concerned me was the the um, the disconnect between being told that you have a brain disease and being told what the um, treatment was. And the treatment was going to be a spiritual program. And w- what I wanted to know was, if I have a brain disease, why isn't there a medical intervention? Why is this, you know, in, in my initial reaction, why am I um, being told to join a new religion? Mm-hmm. And um, And I objected to that really strenuously for the first couple weeks I was in rehab. But the love and the care and the support and the inspiration of the people in rehab um, made me see and and enforce sobriety from rehab. Gave me a chance to look at what I'd become. um, And over a course of two or three weeks, I came to the conclusion that, yes, I was, in fact, an alcoholic, which I denied when I got there and um, that I needed to have a program to stay alive, that I um, you know, couldn't keep drinking and stay alive. At the time, I had a two-year-old son, and I wanted to you know, raise him. Uh, and so I adopted the 12 steps, uh, because that's what um, the rehab uh, model was. But I still, you know, the, the problem with rehab was that they didn't describe to me in any detail what it was about the brain that malfunctioned, why it was a brain disease, or why spiritual practice would be helpful to that kind of brain disease. And so I, I, I always maintained, I always had some doubt about that. Um, and I relapsed a couple of times, and I had to go back to rehab uh, for a second time um, because I didn't really understand the disease or my role in it, or what I could do about it. Um, And it wasn't until about a year after um, my second stint in rehab that I started to understand the science of addiction, largely as a result of uh, my father, who was a scientist. He subscribed to Science Magazine, and in October of 1997, they published a special addiction issue and he sent it to me, and I read it, and I started to get a glimpse of the the um, the reality of addiction as a brain disease. Why it's a brain disease? What parts of the brain are um, manipulated by addictive drugs? How addictive drugs um, take over the brain, essentially, and um, uh, why uh, why the addictive process, which is centered around the, the process of de- deepening tolerance, why that is the central factor in addiction being both a, a progressive disease and uh, irreversible disease. So um, back in 1997, um, you know, that's 15, more than 15 years ago, the science wasn't as advanced as it is now, but it was still pretty advanced. They understood um, quite a bit about why um, addicts um, react the way that they do, the ways that the brain is changed from addictive drugs, and how that um, propels addictive thinking and addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're talking, it's like I'm seeing this um, this confluence of sort of three aspects of, of a, a person, the intellect, the emotional acceptance, and the spirituality. Right. It's, it's like it took all of that sort of for you to establish a, a sense of, of the factual reality of what the situation was because it, it was like you certainly, I, I'm going to guess, based on your background, that you're highly intelligent, so it wasn't like you couldn't comprehend the facts, you know, about life. But that wasn't enough to help you achieve sobriety. Um, they, and nor, on the other hand, was you also needed the information. You needed the intellectual facts. 
So they all were working together, it sounds like. Yes, they were. And, um, you know, neuroscience spends a lot of time. um, First of all, let me say I am not a neuroscientist. You know, I'm a lawyer, um, prosecutor, former prosecutor. And so I'm not a neuroscientist, but I know um, enough about neuroscience to um, ask the right kinds of questions from neuroscientists. And what they spend a lot of time talking about is the um, emotional versus the rational parts of the brain. They don't speak a lot about the spiritual parts of the brain because um, they haven't really been able to locate that in the brain yet. They understand where the emotional centers of the brain are, and they understand where the rational centers of the brain are, and they understand in some basic way how they interact. Um, and so neuroscientists, they talk about um, the, the, the disconnect between the emotional benefits of drugs versus the rational realization of their consequences. And right, the tell emotion, us. The emotional yeah. benefits of drugs are so strong that they actually can overpower the rational parts of the brain um, and you kind of forget all of those reasons why you shouldn't be taking drugs. The rational reasons, they don't have the same salience as the emotional reasons do. Right. And so Tell one us of the things. I'm sorry. One of the things that uh, impresses me about the first step of the 12 steps is that they say that you have to surrender. And I had a big problem with that. I didn't, uh, I didn't want to surrender to anybody. I, I felt I was you know, a a strong individual. Why do I need to surrender? And from a neuroscientific point of view, I think that what you surrender, um, or one of the ways to look at it anyway, is that you surrender reliance on the rational brain. And you have to understand that this is not a disease of rationality. This is a disease of of, of emotions. Um, And it is the emotional brain that is most... Um, transformed by uh, addictive drugs, and so in my case, one of the, the one of the first things that I had to understand about surrendering in step one is that you what I was surrendering was I was surrendering to the irrationality of it. I was surrendering to the uh, emotionality and spirituality of it, and that I could not look to my rational. Um, facilities for a solution that um, that that was simply that simply didn't work and I didn't understand why at that time but I have since learned that um, addiction seriously compromises the areas of the brain that are involved in self-control and willpower those areas of the brain atrophy and weaken and the power to exercise willpower or self-control weakens with it. At the same time, the emotional brain is strengthened. And um, so you have this overpowering emotional need that uh, you're attempting to control with an underpowered willpower system. And that just simply doesn't work. It just, it just uh, it doesn't. And I can... I can uh, tell you that from my own personal experience. Uh, every addict that I've known, including myself, has attempted to focus willpower more, um, more, focus more strength in their willpower. They think that that's the answer. But the answer isn't willpower because willpower is compromised by addictive drugs. Thank you, Steve. It's time for our break. Um, thank you so much for what you're uh, telling us here. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. Our topic is neuroscience and spirituality. Team up for sobriety, huh? And my guest is Steve Castleman with his website, addictscience.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous love offerings of listeners like you. 
If you feel spiritually fed by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week. And start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you joined us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is neuroscience and spirituality team up for sobriety, huh? And my guest is Steve Castleman. Uh, Steve is a person who is in long-term recovery himself. Um, he is the creator and sustainer of a website called Addict Science. It's A-D-D-I-C-T-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. Addict Science, just the way you'd think it is, spelled.com. It's an excellent resource for understanding um, so much about addiction, the, the brain chemistry aspects of it, the uh, spiritual aspects of it, what family members can do, and so forth. And it's a wonderful, wonderful resource for recovery. And um, Steve is, is sharing with us today about the biochemistry the, of the neuroscience of addiction and recovery. And um, he's just got a wealth of information. But before Steve and I uh, continue our conversation, I'd like to invite you to join me in a moment of quiet where we can let our brains relax and move and open truly, literally, into that place where we are experiencing the energy of love. And that's a real uh, neuroscientific uh, fact. So I invite you to relax, to take a breath to let yourself uh, allow your body to become calm just very gently and easily and share with me this constructive idea. I allow God's love to fill me and enfold me, healing my mind, my body, and my soul at the cellular level. I let God's love fill and enfold me, healing my mind, body, and soul at the cellular level. Relax for just a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. 
And I trust that it was an opportunity for you to relax and to experience that calmness and that energy that is love. And now we're back to my conversation with my guest, Steve Castleman. So, Steve, before the break, you were telling us um, about the difference between the, the rational brain, the rational thinking, and the emotional brain. How does that fit into the uh, issue of relapse, which, as we know, can be a part of uh, the, the process of getting permanent sobriety? Well, it's an interesting question um, because neuroscientists say that oftentimes relapse happens because the brain produces the same chemical reaction to triggers that it does to actual drugs. So, for example, a cocaine addict, if he sees a picture of a line of cocaine, the brain reacts as if it has gotten a tiny little bit of, a tiny little dose of that um, drug in anticipation. And that creates the phenomenon that we all know of craving. So it's as if you have taken some drugs, even though you haven't. What happens in the brain is, um, you see the trigger or you experience a trigger. The brain understands the expectation that the trigger is likely to, is likely to result in, in drugs or alcohol. And it anticipates that and actually causes the, ch- the, the brain changes that come with the drugs and alcohol in a, in a very small way. And they've measured this in, um, in the laboratory. Many people are familiar with dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter in the, in the um, reward center of the brain. And scientists have found, so for example, one experiment, they showed cocaine addicts uh, pictures of nature scenes interspersed with um, uh, a, uh, drug cues like pictures of cocaine or, or alcohol that flashed for um, 20 nanoseconds in between these pictures of nature scenes. And they could still see a a spike in dopamine in the brains of the addicts who were, after all, in an MRI machine, knew that they weren't going to get any drugs, but their brains had learned to expect it. And so one of the real big problems with relapse is that those triggers cause a cascade of neurological events that are mostly unconscious and very, very fast. And what you have to do to combat that is kind of slow down and pause, as, as the 12 steps, uh, 12-step program says, pause, be very mindful of where you are and what you're doing and that feeling. And then once you are mindful of it, then you can address it. The big problem is that um, for many people who relapse, including myself, it happens so quickly and so unconsciously, it almost feels automatic. Mm-hmm. But relapse isn't necessarily just a, a, a weakness. Relapse is, is involved in a whole series of brain changes. And that's why triggers are um, so powerful and so dangerous to those of us in long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And so, one of, uh, as you said, one of the things that a person can do is that is to slow down. What are other things that can help a person uh, that is dealing with those triggers, like you said, and, and how can they uh, deal with relapse? Well, one, one, of the, uh, one, the one bit of good news is that the intensity of those triggers, the intensity of the brain reaction, uh, lessens over time. And so in, early, in real early sobriety, they're very, very powerful, those triggers. Um, months and months and years later, they become less and less powerful. So um, you need to intervene less often. One of the things that can help you do that, obviously, is to other people, sharing with other people at a meeting or with a sponsor uh, how you're feeling when you're, when you're feeling like you need to have, um, you know, you need, you need relief now, um, and that's a very, very dangerous place to be, if you intervene by talking to somebody else, social support also boosts dopamine. Um, and so you can get some kind of relief from the craving by taking spiritual actions that have similar neurological responses, such as uh, talking to a sponsor who you know loves and cares for you, 
or for another or another person or uh, who you know loves and cares for you or a spiritual um, guide. Um, certainly prayer and meditation have been shown through scientific research to be very helpful in um, in being mindful of of uh, not taking irrational impulses and acting on them. Basically, when you get a trigger which causes a craving, you have to intervene to interrupt the um, intention from the action. And one of the, you know, there are a number of ways to do that. One of those is just to talk to somebody, pick up a phone, and say to somebody, a sponsor or a friend, hey, I'm really feeling squirrely right now. Help me. And and that is a skill that is um, that gets easier as it, as you do it more often as well. Um, so all of these tools um, that we think of as normal tools in the twelve step program have significant neurological benefits that can help deal with cravings and um, prevent relapse. Now, unfortunately, you know it's not one hundred percent of the time. A lot of us have to relapse. To learn how to live sober, and relapse can be a very uh, good learning experience as long as you survive it. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I don't encourage people to relapse. Uh, relapse needs to be avoided at all costs. But in my case, I relapsed twice on alcohol in the '90s, and um, I learned a great deal about it, about how to le- live sober and how to prevent relapse from from failing at that. So if you survive a relapse, it can be um, beneficial, but I, I certainly don't recommend it. Right. You know, on your website, uh, you have one of the uh, pages about why love is therapeutic, and right. you go into some more detail. Um, you've just been talking about that, some about how contacting a sponsor or talking to someone that you know loves you, spending time with your higher power uh, can be so helpful. Tell us some more about what scientists actually know I, uh, about how that affects us neurologically and how that uh, it does have some chemical basis. I know they don't know all about it, but what do you, what do you know and what do they find out about that? Well, um, neurologically speaking, there are three kinds of love. One is lust, which is uh, you know, the desire for sex, which um, isn't particularly relevant to addiction unless you're a sex addict. Um, the second is romantic love. And the third is long-term attachment. Now, romantic love is a function of dopamine, which is also the neurotransmitter that drugs uh, primarily target. Dopamine isn't the only neurotransmitter targeted by drugs or involved in love. There's another neurotransmitter um, group called opioids, which are also involved in love, and in particular, social attachment. Um, but um, love, romantic love, and um, parental love have been studied fairly um, extensively. And what they found is love is a function of the dopamine system in the emotional brain. And so the very system that uh, drugs act upon is the same system that uh, love, uh, love acts upon. And one of the problems with um, giving up drugs when you become a drug addict is that you're expecting that dopamine boost from drugs, and you don't get it if you're abstinent. And so you have a dopamine depletion, and that's, uh, that's very depressing. Um, literally, it depresses you. Uh, among other things. But uh, social support, love, um, friendship, those kinds of things are an alternate means to boost dopamine. So um, one of the reasons that love is so effective as a, as a treatment uh, strategy, which you know I thought was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard when I entered rehab, turns out love is a very important therapeutic tool. It's very powerful. And the reason it's powerful is because it manipulates the same brain systems um, that drugs do, but in exactly the opposite direction. Drugs are a negative motivational system, whereas 
love is a positive emotional motivational system. So they can counteract each other, and that's what the neuroscience shows. Mm-hmm. So that's the basis of the idea of the fellowship and and why I mean that's been demonstrated over and over uh, by scientific studies is that there's when people have social support, uh, good healthy support in sobriety that's a big factor in people staying sober. So right. uh, there's yeah so that's that's what that is I guess huh that fellowship yeah, social support social support the support of a group or an individual or a small number of individuals releases dopamine in the brain and that feels good and that is uh, therapeutic for those of us who um, may have depleted dopamine systems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, I should say one thing about service, which is also very interesting. Um, there have been studies of AA's service component and um, two studies in particular that, I, that I'm thinking of right now. One study was of teenagers um, and those uh, in treatment facilities, and uh, or, or rather right, who had just come out of treatment facilities, and uh, teenagers in treatment who helped other people, um, you know, the um, tw- basically the 12th step, um, had fewer uh, cravings than those who didn't help other people. Hmm. And adults in a separate study... Uh, those who participated in the AA um, 12 step um, in an active way, you know, going to H&I or um, speaking at drunk driving classes or secretary meeting or doing any of those things for service, they were studied and they had double the um, chance of avoiding a relapse of those who did not do the service. So that's another spiritual um, aspect that is very helpful. Uh, serving others, <coughs> excuse me, um, is very good for your sense of self-worth. And that has um, uh, a cascade, again, a cascade of, of positive neurological consequences. If you're helping other people, you're not concentrating on yourself. You have a sense of proportion, um, you, you are, tend to be more grateful for what you do have uh, because oftentimes people you're helping um, don't have the things that you have, like long-term sobriety or a place to live or um, you know any number of things. And so the service component has been demonstrated through scientific study to be very important and very helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about prayer and meditation? What does science tell us about that? Well, there's a lot on meditation. There isn't that much on prayer. Um, it's very difficult to uh, study prayer from a neuroscientific point of view. I mean, they understand, you know, what happens in the brain um, when you pray and meditate, and I, I tend to I tend to see prayer as Analogous to meditation for the for the purposes of of neuroscience, um, but meditation has uh, there's a lot of uh, neuroscientific study of meditation, and um, it's been it's incredibly um, uh, impressive uh, the effects of meditation. So, for example, people who meditate um, have uh, lower baseline stress. Uh, the stress hormones, cortisol and corticotropin releasing factor, two stress uh, hormones, uh, are subdued a little bit by meditation. And the longer you meditate, the, the longer lasting that action is. And so since stress is one of the major um, components of relapse, uh, meditation is really good at affecting the overall stress level, not only when you're meditating, but between meditations. Um, they've done a lot of work on um, how long it takes to meditate, uh, how long it takes for the brain changes associated with meditation to to occur. And it seems like it takes about several, a couple months, <coughs> excuse me, before there are dramatic changes in the brain that are measurable. 
And Good. so ho- one. Ho- hold that thought. It's time sure. for our break. Um, okay. My guest is Steve Castleman. We're talking about neuroscience and spirituality, teaming up for sobriety. His website is addictscience.com. It's got a wealth of information on it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. with childlike wonder what is the nature of god who is jesus what is the christ how do we know what we know when you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical intangible aspects of life you are on some level a student of metaphysics new from unity house and nearly five years in the making heart-centered metaphysics a deeper look at unity teachings is now available this is paul hasselbeck author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on shop. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is neuroscience and spirituality team up for sobriety. And my guest is Steve Castleman. Steve has a wonderful, informative website. It's addictscience.com, and it's uh, full of information about the neuroscience of addiction and recovery, about all kinds of information about spirituality and how that's related to neuroscience and so forth. So uh, Steve is a person in long-term recovery, and he's a person who um, really has delved into all of these details and has a lot to share. So, Steve, before the break, you were telling us about meditation and the benefits of it and how it is. It's, uh, so tell us more about that and the neuroscience of meditation. Well, um, one of the things that I was mentioning was that meditation uh, has deeper um, effects if you keep doing it over a long period of time, over a period of months and years. Um, it, re- it can really remodel the inside of your of your brain. Remember that the brain is constantly um, changing. The brain is constantly making new connections and uh, for new stimuli and pruning old connections that aren't really necessary yet or anymore. And so when you meditate, you are um, engaging the brain in, um, in a certain form of, of um, brain activity that kind of builds on itself over time. And what, they, and what the neuroscientists say is that you can actually see uh, structural and functional changes in the cells of the brain um, from, um, long, long, in, in the brains of long-term meditators. And this is really quite remarkable. 
Um, we know that drugs can affect uh, the brain over a long period of time, can change the brain over a long period of time. But what was really surprising was that um, meditation can do the same thing. And it doesn't require you to pop a pill or take a drink or anything. All it requires you to do is to, is to sit quietly and, and practice and keep practicing. So what I encourage people to do, and I have to encourage myself to do this as well because I don't meditate perhaps as long or as much as I should, but I encourage people to do it even if they don't feel like they're getting any benefit because um, it takes uh, several weeks or months for the, those brain changes to really kick in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, would you be willing to share with us just your how you do it? There are lots of different forms of meditation, and I've found uh, sometimes people think, oh, I'm not doing it right, or they and they quit meditating because they have this perfectionistic thing about it. So yeah, it's not, um, tell, tell us something how you, if you would, what do you thought, think about how you do it? Well, actually, this is a goes back again to my father. Um, I, there was a book about meditation many, many, many years ago, I want to say 30 years ago, called The Relaxation Response. It's my favorite book about meditation. Go yeah, ahead. And, and so I pretty much um, practice what it describes. You try and sit quietly, concentrate on your breathing, um, my dad um, had a mantra, which was just the letter E that he just kept concentrating on. I like to concentrate on music myself. Um, I find that um, I can lose myself in music in the same way that many people can do that in meditation. Uh, so there are lots of different ways to do it. Um, but um, I don't think that there's any particularly wrong way to do it. There are, you know, there are there are uh, instructors who can help you. There are workshops and stuff that can do that can help you. But I think the 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 thing that always used to trip me up was I would meditate for ten minutes and then I'd get antsy and then I'd think to myself, "Well, I'm not really feeling anything. So what what is this? You, you know, what good is this?" Um, and as a as an alcoholic myself, I'm used to pretty quick uh, relief. And meditation isn't like that. So you just have to be patient, and you just have to tell tell yourself that um, you're not going to necessarily feel anything right away, but over a period of time, it will alter um, the way that your brain works and the way that you and the way the, your outlook. Right. You had mentioned earlier that um, love and and really, in a sense, meditation are positive reward systems, but that addiction is a negative reward system. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that a lot of people have heard about dopamine and how dopamine um, is unleashed by addictive drugs, and dopamine is the neurotransmitter of pleasure. But I don't think that what most people understand is that the brain doesn't seek pleasure for its own sake. The brain seeks pleasure for a purpose. It's like the old 60s slogan, if it feels good, do it. So dopamine um, makes you feel good in order to um, for a much higher purpose, and that purpose is learning. Dopamine is the key to learning and memory and motivation. And so, when you screw around with the dopamine system by using addictive drugs, you are altering the way that you learn. Neuroscientists say that addiction is a pathological form of learning, hmm. and. What you learn is you learn that drugs are the solution to your emotional problems. And that has a very strong emotional resonance, but un- resonance. Unfortunately, it's literally untrue. So it feels true, but it's not true. Um, and that's why addiction is such a negative motivational system. It skews your motivations, it skews your thought process, and it skews what's important to you. And so you're motivated to do something that is in the short run, you know, beneficial, it makes you feel better, but in the long run is deadly if you're using an acutely toxic drug. And so addiction is a negative motivational system, whereas love, in particular, is a very positive motivational system. Um, there are experiments that show that experimental animals who are isolated and who don't have any contact with other animals of their species or their mother really um, 
get quite twisted very quickly. And some of them will even die from a lack of love. And so love is very important um, from a positive point of view, which is why um, uh, social attachment, and in particular um, attachment between babies and their parents is so important, that the love between a parent and a baby affects the way the brain um, matures. And if, if uh, a baby doesn't have that kind of love, then the brain becomes more susceptible to um, the siren song of, of artificial love, which is dopamine. Mm-hmm. Well, so that in recovery, we have an opportunity to uh, heal those brains, it sounds like, through a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. Right. To some extent, you can mm-hmm. heal the brain. Your level of tolerance goes back, back toward normal. But unfortunately, you can't um, overcome the fact that addiction is irreversible. At some point, the brain changes are, um, are not enough the normal brain change, normal defensive reaction of the brain to addictive drugs isn't enough. And what happens is the brain changes your genetic code to account for that. And once the genetic code has been altered, um, then you can't go back. And that's why um, addiction is irreversible. So the, um, the strength of an addiction, the strength of cravings, uh, does decrease over time. But it doesn't go away. And that's why, even for people I've known who have long-term, you know, 10, 20 years of sobriety, when they relapse, they go right back to where they started 20 years before. And that's because the brain changes associated with tolerance are long-lasting. They they, um, don't go away. So some of the effects get a little bit better, but um, the really basic change of the brain remains, which is why addiction is an irreversible disease and which is why we have to have a recovery program that works for us every day for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. Right. To keep going forward in that uh, recovery choices um, is important to keep increasing that. Well, what about the family members? And you've got a a wonderful resource page on your website, addictscience.com. For family members, um, what's... Does the science have anything to say to family members? Well, I think that um, if family members understand that addiction is truly a brain disease and that it is a disease of motivational systems, they can begin to understand why their addicted relatives act so bizarrely. Um, and, And if you understand that it is truly a brain disease, number one, what do you do if you get a disease? You go to a doctor. And so um, I encourage families to understand that addiction is a brain disease so that they will, inter- they will go to their doctors or a medical doctor or psychologist or psychiatrist um, to intervene, that that is the appropriate thing to do, not just tough it out, not just make threats, um, but, you know, that the medical intervention is required for most, um, especially late-stage addicts. But the other thing that uh, families have to understand is they have to understand the basic irrationality of the disease. And people don't understand, people prize rationality, and they don't understand how to deal with someone who's irrational. And drug addicts are irrational, and that is a result of addiction, not necessarily the cause of it. So you have to learn how to deal with that irrationality, and Al-Anon is one of the best places to do that. Now, I will say this about all 12-step programs. Um, uh, They are not the only uh, recovery model. There are other recovery models out there, and some people are not um, comfortable in the 12-step model. And for those people, I say find a different model. They are out there. They they have some of the same basic uh, goals in terms of mind retraining, um, they don't um, uh, concentrate as much on spirituality as AA or the 12 Steps do. But AA is not the only game in town, neurologically speaking. And, um, what, and, um, I, and I've known many people, including families, who 
have given Al-Anon a try and have um, decided that for whatever reason they didn't like it. So I have encouraged them to find a different program. Uh, and they are out there if you uh, if you Google them. Now, personally, I subscribe to the 12-step program because it saved my life. Um, but I recognize that that is not the case for everybody. Right. That's great. Um, we've just got a minute left here, but in, a, in one minute. Why did you put that website up? It's fantastic. It must take a lot of your time, but it's just great. What uh, yeah, prompted you um, to do that? Well, I felt like I had all this knowledge. I learned the neuroscience for me, you know, to, to convince me that it was a disease that I needed to take seriously and to alleviate my own guilt and shame. And having spent the better part of 15 years informally researching this, I, I, I wanted to share it with other people because I felt that if they underwent the same transformation I did, that is to say from going from believing it was a personality defect to really understanding that it's a disease, that can really help um, recovery. Uh, it certainly did in my case, and it can also help the families of people in recovery um, because then they they can really make the distinction between the disease and the diseased. Right. And they can understand that it, this is not a this is not something that addicts are doing because they're bad people. Uh, they're not bad people trying to get to be good people. They're sick people trying to get well. Steve, thank you so much. You have just uh, given us a, a lot of great information and inspiration. It's My a great guest, pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Steve Castleman, Neuroscience and Spirituality Team Up for Sobriety, his website, addictscience.com. Thank you again for uh, being with us. Really. Thank you Thanks very so much. much. It's been a great pleasure, and I hope I've helped uh, any, anyone who's struggling with addiction. Great. And listeners, thank you for being with us today. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery, and know that you are blessed. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them 
As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you, but God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.